We're in Leviticus, and um, to save you, like I said, if anybody needs an outline, I think Eli, my family might need an outline. Uh, we have outlines of the book, so we'll jump into it. We're going to start in, uh, we're good, Josh? Hebrews chapter 4 is actually where we're going to start. That's where I'd like you to start. Hebrews chapter 4. I know. Leviticus is pretty dry. A lot of who chewed the cud, who isn't chewing the cud, and uh, this offering and that thing and this thing and that thing. But I'm going to try tonight, by God's help, to show you that this is one of the most practical, exciting books of your Bible. And maybe if God could take a dry book like Leviticus and show you how many things you could take from it, you'll be blessed and maybe just stand a little bit more in awe of God's Word. So let me give you some uh, vital statistics about it. First, uh, there are 27 chapters, right? Interesting, it's a multiple of nine, fruitfulness. 27 chapters, um, 859 verses, 24,541 words. I'll say that again. Uh, 27 chapters, 859 verses, 24,000 550, uh, 541 words, 24,541 words. It's the third book of the law, the third book of Moses, the third book of your Bible, and it's the book of Leviticus because it's the book of laws for the Levites, hence the word Leviticus, the book of the Levites, the book of the laws for the Levites, that earthly tribe from which the priesthood would come. And we're seeing some interesting uh, uh, trends coming out from our Bible so far. The book of Genesis gave us creation, amen, and really the ruin of creation and how that ruined creation would be redeemed from the promised seed of a woman. So Genesis leaves us in ruin with this promise of a seed that would come. And then last week we opened up in the book of Exodus, which was the book of redemption, the book of redemption by the blood of the Lamb, and it was the book of Exodus. We start with people in bondage, right? Genesis leaves us in ruin. Exodus starts us in bondage, and it's there where the Lord delivers His people and redeems His people, and that's where we get the Passover, right? Josh said, is every book going to start with P? No, just the ones for tonight. But Leviticus is now about people that have already been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And this is about worship. It's about entering the sanctuary. It's about the access that you and I have as blood-bought children of God, the access you and I have as people that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and the fellowship we can have with God, and the priesthood that we're all a part of as believer priests, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's an amazing study. It's an amazing piece here. Now in Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 14. Jesus Christ is pictured in this book. And Josh, if you just take the ring a little bit down, I feel like I'm... uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. The Bible says of Jesus Christ, uh, seeing then that we have a great high priest. So in the book of Leviticus, Jesus Christ is pictured as our great high priest priest. Keep reading, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. 
For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So the book of Leviticus really picks up on this theme and shows us that Jesus Christ is that high priest. He's that superior priest. He's the only priest you need. He's the way to get to the Father and give you access to the Father. Now go to Hebrews chapter 7. Look at verse 23. Now, if you really want to get an appreciation for the book of Leviticus, you've got to study the book of Hebrews, specifically chapters 5 to 10. Because in Hebrews chapters 5 to 10, the Lord is setting up a contrast. He's talking about the Levitical priesthood who was earthly, temporal, and full of infirmities, and the Melchizedek priesthood, which Jesus Christ was a part of, which is eternal, heavenly, and without spot or any problems. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 23 is speaking about the Levitical priesthood, and he says, and they, the Levitical earthly priests, they truly were many priests. You had to have a lot of them. Because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. All the Levites died. 24. But this man, speaking of Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest, speaking of Jesus Christ, became us. Woo! Came down. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. You could plug in amen, amen any way you want. Who needeth not daily as those high priests, right? The Levitical priests had to offer for themselves, but Jesus Christ didn't need an offering because Jesus Christ didn't have any sin. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, The Levites were sinners and they died. But the word of the oath, that was from the Father, which was since the law, make it the Son who is consecrated forevermore. So Jesus Christ is a high priest, a very different kind of priest than any of the earthly priests that the Old Testament law had. Now let's go to Leviticus 1 and we'll go in there and then we'll jump into our study really deep here. Now where are we in Leviticus 1? In Leviticus... We're still at Mount Sinai. We're still there. We haven't traveled yet. The book of Numbers next week, you know it's next week. The book of Numbers is where we start journeying and moving around. But Leviticus, we're still at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, Israel is receiving instructions from God. Now that you've come out of Egypt, now that the Lamb's blood has delivered you, and you want to start walking with God, and serving God, and fellowshipping with God, anybody amen on that one? (laughs) If that's who you want to be, God says, I'm going to give you some laws, some precepts, and some principles, some instructions, so you could be that people I've called you out of Egypt to be. And look at Leviticus 1.1. It says, And the Lord called unto Moses, and spake unto him, where? Out of the tabernacle. tabernacle. That's amazing. You say, why is that amazing? Because in Exodus, God spoke to Israel out of the mount. And it was scary. And he said, stay back. Because that pictured in Exodus, redemption and salvation to people that were without 
And it was the law that said, stay back. Don't come up to this mount. Don't even touch it. But Leviticus speaks out of the tabernacle. Because God has now come down at the book of Exodus and He's in the tabernacle just like He's inside of you. Since you've been washed in the blood, He lives inside of you. And you know what God speaks now? Out of the tabernacle. And the book of Leviticus is not about salvation for people that are without. No, it's for you guys. It's for the saved. It's for the redeemed. It's about the sanctification for those that are within. Exodus said, stay back. But Leviticus says, draw nigh. So this is a book about fellowship. So let's get into it now. Now, I'm not going to read all this. And if you're watching on YouTube, hi, everybody. Um, you'll see the same notes dropped in the description. I'm, re- I'm not a boomer. I know what I'm doing, okay? So I got all the notes in the description so you could follow along with us online if you're there. But the book of Leviticus has a great breakdown that's really easy to remember. Chapters 1 to 11 is the way to God by sacrifice. Chapters 12 to 27 is the walk with God by sanctification. And you can see all the little headings there, and I'm not going to go into all them, and I don't want to read all these to you because you have them in front of you, but what I want to get into now, if that's the breakdown, what are the Bible pictures? And I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to try to rock your world today. Because Leviticus, which for some of us is like dry as cracker juice, I get it. You're cruising through Genesis. You're cruising through the beginning of Exodus. And then the last 15 chapters were like, oh my goodness. And then you got into Leviticus and you were like, oh boy. Oh boy. There's a lot of cud in there. There's a lot of cud. There's cud over here and ostriches and ospreys and eagles and the kite eagle and the, this thing and the, this owl. There's a lot of owls, right? So I'm going to try to show you that even though this book might seem like one of the most boring books of the Bible, it is one of the most exciting and the most practical for you if you're going to walk with God. All right, so let's look at some of these things. First picture, so chapters 1 to 11 is a picture of your standing in Christ. Okay, chapters 1 to 11 is all about your standing in Christ. It's your position as a son. Anybody a son of God here today? All right. If you've been washed in the blood, God says He's made you a child of God. If you're in Christ, you are a son because you're in the Son of God. You're a part of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. And it's in chapters 1 to 11, all get into that position. How does it start? Well, the first five chapters are all about the five offerings. You see them on your, on your paper there, right? The burnt offering, the meat offering, the peace offering, chapter 3, the sin offering, chapter 4, the trespass offering, chapter 5. Why does God start? Because that's where your standing begins. It begins with these offerings that all point to Christ. They all, the book starts with Jesus Christ and all the ways He is your offering to God. He's your access to God. And I wrote some things on there. You know, one is about the surrender of Christ, the burnt offering, the service of Christ, the meat offering, the serenity of Christ, the peace offering, the, the, the uh, substitute of Christ, and the sin offering, and the satisfaction by Christ in the trespass offering. And those offerings are like a study that we did many years ago. You can go through them and find those messages online. I don't want to hit that. But here's what I want you to see. The book of Leviticus never mentions the Holy Spirit because it's all about Christ. It's not that the Holy Spirit's not important, but the focus of Leviticus is Jesus Christ, our high priest. And our high priest became all these different things for us so we could have access to God. 
and just to show you how complete and perfect and amazing your standing is in Jesus Christ and how all-sufficient the sacrifice of Christ is, turn to Leviticus 8. And let me show you one of our first great pictures here. Leviticus 8, verse 22. All right? I'm going to get really excited about the book of Leviticus. Some of you are going to be like, what in the world? Um, Leviticus 8, look at this. Now, Leviticus 8, we're in the section of our outline where it's talking about the uh, the priest sacrifices. And specifically, chapter 8 is the consecration of the priests, how the priests actually got put into the ministry. Watch 8.22. And he brought the other ram, the ram of consecration. This was the animal they were going to kill. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram, and he slew it. And Moses took of the blood of it and put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. And he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put of the blood upon the tip of their right ear, and upon the thumbs of their right hands, and upon the great toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. You see, what is that all about? This is going to show you right here that the salvation Jesus Christ provides is complete. It took care of everything for you. Notice the blood was applied to the right ear. You know what the blood did? It took care of everything you heard that defiled you. It was put on the thumb of your right hand because it took care of everything you touched and everything you did that defiled you. And it was put on the big toe of your right foot because it took care of, you could probably finish it with me, everything, everywhere you went that defiled you. The salvation Jesus Christ gave covered and cleanseth us from all our sin. Now go to Colossians in your New Testament. Let me show you that the Apostle Paul picks up on Jesus Christ and says, yes, He is complete. And if you're in Him, you are complete. You're standing. Your legal position as a son is perfect in Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you're perfect yet down here, but in the annals of heaven, you're seated with Him, and you have the same standing and the same access as the Son of God does. Think about that for the rest of your life. Colossians chapter 2. Look at it says here, Colossians 2. Verse number 8. And Colossians is all about the supremacy of Christ. It's all about how Jesus Christ is the biggest show in town. And in Colossians 2.8, the Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. They're trying to steal Jesus Christ from you and not make Him think He's the biggest deal in your life. Verse 9, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. Right? And ye, that's all you Christians at Colossae He's writing to, and ye are complete in Him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses." When you got saved, God put you into Christ, and His death became your death, His burial became your burial, and His resurrection became your resurrection. And ye are complete in Him. That's your standing. you got to get that. You have a standing. Don't we sing it? 
born of the Spirit, from life, with life from above, into God's family divine, justified fully in, by Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. God gave you the standing that Jesus Christ has. You stand perfect and complete in Him. Because of what he did. That didn't happen in the book of Exodus. That didn't hap- isn't going to happen in the book of Revelation. That is something that is left here specifically for the New Testament Christian in this age. Being in Christ. Now go to Ephesians chapter 1. Are you in Christ? Amen. That's the question. Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, you have a standing. You have a standing. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 12. Ephesians 1 12. All right. Paul's writing to the Ephesians, and he says, I'll take it in the middle of verse 12, we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. So Paul's saying, we trusted in Christ. And then he talks to the Ephesians, he says, in whom ye also trusted. Hey, I trusted Jesus Christ for my Savior and my sins. Have you trusted Him as your Savior? Paul says, we've trusted in Him, and you've trusted in Him. And here's what we got when that happened in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, see that's so important, in Christ is the key of Ephesians, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. Look what it says that He did for us there. 2.6, And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You say, where is Jesus right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Where are you right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Your spirit is, right? That your standing is the same standing that Jesus Christ has with the Father. We'll get to the other part of it in a little bit. But you have to see that God gave you as a gift that standing. Right? Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 30. Chapter 4, verse 30, he says it there again. 4.30. And grieve not. Now the Holy Spirit's inside of you, and you can grieve that Holy Spirit. You could do the wrong thing, you could break God's heart, and you could grieve Him. It says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That's different than the Old Testament. Because when David grieved God by sinning with Bathsheba, his prayer was, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because the Holy Spirit went in and out in the Old Testament. In, it came upon a man and left if he disobeyed. Right? Samson wist not that the Lord had departed from him because Samson went into sin. But in this New Testament dispensation, God is doing something different. He's circumcising your flesh. He's cutting your flesh away from your soul and your spirit. So there's a place where he can reside that is not touched by the filth of your flesh. And you can grieve that Holy Spirit. You can trouble that Holy Spirit. But he says that Holy Spirit is sealed unto the day of redemption. That day is the day when he calls you home to be with him in glory. Now, Eli and I like to use the illustration of an envelope, right? When you get saved, it's like the Holy Spirit goes inside you and seals you up like an envelope. Now, you take that envelope and put it in the mail, it's going to get banged up. 
It might get stepped on, it may get crinkled, it may get mud splashed on it. Somebody, somebody might look at that envelope and say, ugh, I don't even want to touch that. That envelope looks like, you know, ugh, dreck, you know, but guess what? The only person that's going to open that envelope is the one that's going to be the recipient of that envelope. And God says, you're sealed unto the day of redemption. You might get banged up on the outside. Sometimes people might look at you and not see a son of God like they should, but God says, the Holy Spirit resides inside of you, and one day God is going to open you up and going to bring you into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now go back to Leviticus chapter 10. That's not an excuse to sin that should provoke you to want to live a holy life, that God has given you such a standing. Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. And that's unique to the body of Christ. You don't find that happening to, to Isaiah and Jeremiah. They had no idea what we're talking about in that regard. So that's your standing. And look at Leviticus 10. We're getting to the end of this first section. And the Bible says here, and Nadab, and now at the end of chapter 9, God came down with this fire, right? You see 9, 24. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar. So God was pleased with this offering and God sent fire down to show that I'm pleased with this offering. I accept this offering. So you know what Nadab and Abihu did? What a lot of people do. They tried to counterfeit it. They tried to imitate it. Oh, you need an offering? We could have an offering. You need a priest? We could get a priest. Right? Just, there's a lot of counterfeit systems out there that are trying to masquerade what the Bible says you need to be saved. And look what it says right there. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. See, the only fire you were supposed to offer to God was supposed to be a coal that you took off that brazen altar. Anything else was strange fire. Didn't mean it was like fire that burned blue. It was strange fire because it was foreign fire. It was fire that God didn't accept. So these guys were trying to find another way to appease God. They wanted to try to find something that wasn't coming from the altar where the sacrifice was that God accepted. And God says, I'm going to kill you right there to make an example of you. You know what that tells me? The Lord will not accept an imitation salvation. He's only going to accept the real thing. The only fire God accepted was the fire from off the altar where the sacrifice was that He instituted. And guess what? If anybody's going to try to creep up to God and say, well, I have my good works and I did my good deeds and I went to church, you know what's going to happen? You're going to perish like Nadab and Abihu perished. And that's the illustration that God will not accept the counterfeit. Ain't nothing but the real thing that God wants. He wants Jesus Christ, and He wants that altar and that sacrifice to be the only way you approach unto Him. Amen? That's the first part of Leviticus. It's all about that standing that Jesus Christ has given you and that way that you have into His presence through the sacrifice that He made. But we're going to spend a little more time on the second part. Because chapters 12 to 27 are a picture of of your state. Your state is Christ in you. How much are you being conformed to Christ down here? How much of that Jesus do I see in your life? How much have you given to Him? It's not your position, right? The standing is your position as a son. That's eternal. That's where you're seated in heavenly places. Your state is about your walk on earth. 
It's your condition as a servant. It's your day-to-day, you know, how am I doing today with God, right? One thing is fixed that God has established and put you up there and you're seated in heavenly places in Christ. The other one is, read your Bible today, (laughs) have some kindness today, (laughs) you're praying today, right? That's your state. Your standing is in Christ. That thing never changes. Your state down here is all over the map. Now, we're trying to bring the two in harmony together. The goal of the Christian life is to try to get your day-to-day in line with what's eternal. Trying to bring your standing or your state in line with your standing. That's the trick, not the trick, but that's what the Christian life is about. Meditating on what Jesus Christ has done for you, what He is to you, and what you have in Him, so your life down here starts looking more like your life up there. That's what this part of the book is about. How do we do that? Well, look at chapter 12. The book of Leviticus is amazing. It's remarkable. It really makes me think God wrote it because there's no way Moses could have thought these things up because the minute we get into the section about your walk with God and your state, chapter 12 is about a circumcision. 12.3. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. He starts with circumcision on the eighth day. You know what the number eight is in the Bible? A new beginning. So chapter 12 starts with a new beginning, and God was going to separate that part of you, and he was going to separate that part of you that would affect your progeny, and he says, you guys are going to be different and separated from here on. It starts in chapter 12. And then what do we get in chapters 13 and 14? The same thing we all got to watch out for, saints. He starts talking about leprosy. And you know what leprosy is? It's one of the greatest types of sin in the Bible. And you know what you need to know, saints, if you're going to walk with God down here? Sin will leave its mark on you if you're not careful. Because that's what leprosy was. It was a spot. It was a mark. Look at Leviticus 13. Of all the chapters to get into leprosy, he chooses 13, the number of rebellion. And you do know that the chapter numbers and references were not in the original Greek or Hebrew. All right? The King James translators, they started putting these numbers and stuff in here. So when you start getting blessings out of numbers like that, just remember, your Bible is is given by inspiration of God, okay? Preserved by his power. Of Leviticus 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab, or a bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of his sons the priests. And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh, and when the hair in the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it shall... Uh, It is a plague of leprosy, and the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. Please notice how he starts there talking about this spot that you can get. That spot. Because if you're not careful, sin will leave its mark on you. Doesn't the Bible say in James chapter 1, verse 27, that we're supposed to keep ourselves unspotted from the world? That's what we're supposed to be, right? And doesn't Jude verse 23 say that we're supposed to hate even the garment that is spotted by the flesh, right? The world and the flesh is trying to spot you up and put their spots and their marks on you. God says, if you're going to walk with me, you got to keep yourself clean. You got to keep yourself clean. Now, doctrinally, Leviticus 13 is a warning for the Jews in the tribulation. 
because they're going to be around and the Antichrist is going to try to put his spot or his mark on them. The Antichrist is pictured as a spotted animal in the Bible, a leopard, right? And he's going to try to mark you with his spot, with his kiss. And God says, you better stay away and watch out for that Israel in the Great Tribulation. But hey, personally, down here, where we are right now, practically, it's a warning for believers to keep yourself clean, man. Don't let the world and the flesh spot you up and dirty you up. You say, how do I keep myself clean? Well, go to chapter 14. The Lord tells you right there. All you got to do is read Leviticus. See, don't skip it. Don't do like one of these when you're reading through your Bible. You go, yep, got that. And you just flip the pages over. Say, yeah, I read Leviticus. No, no, no. Don't like do that first 10 chapters of Chronicles. Don't do that. You're going to read the Bible through. You've got to read it all the way through. Every word. Leviticus 14, 17. Look what it says here. It's going to sound a lot like Leviticus 8. But there's going to be a little difference. Remember Leviticus 8 we just looked at? The priest got consecrated by putting the blood on his ear, his thumb, and his toe. Now, look what happens. Verse 17. And the rest of the oil that is in his hand shall the priest put upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot, upon the blood of the trespass offering. You know what this shows me? Now, the priest is getting cleansed, not by the blood because that's already been applied. Now it's the oil. Oil pictures the Holy Spirit. What that tells me is if you've been washed in the Savior's blood, and if you have been, say amen. amen. Guess what? You stay clean with the Spirit's book. Right? You find the Holy Spirit not roaming around your backyard not in a jar of olive oil. You find the Holy Spirit in the words that the Holy Spirit put in that Bible. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That book is the Spirit of God in words. So if you want to get clean, you get that word applied to what you're listening to, what you're touching, and where you're going. And that's how you stay clear of be cleansed of leprosy because you don't just fall into leprosy brethren leprosy came about from prolonged uncleanness right that's why like western civilizations and first world countries don't wrestle with leprosy because we've got sanitation and we don't live in squalor and filth but when you're around prolonged dirtiness and prolonged filth and prolonged squalor like a lot of third world countries that's where leprosy thrives because being dirty for too long my preaching to anybody will start to really take a toll on you and if you see sin in your life or in your heart or in your mind, if you're listening or you're touching or you're going, you know what you need? You need to get back to this book and get the Holy Spirit to cleanse that junk out of you so it doesn't leave its mark on you and become something more difficult to deal with. Amen, Brother Pat. Where'd you get that? From the book of Leviticus. Out of the book of Cracker Juice Dry Leviticus. Look at chapter 15. I'll show you again. It's all right there. It's all right there. Now, 15 on your outline says it's about uh, the uncleanness of men and women, and it gets into all kinds of stuff where they're unclean. But again, he's going to talk about how men and women can keep themselves clean in chapter 15. Look at verse 13. See it? These are all Bible pictures in the book of Leviticus. And, we that ha- and when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, 
Then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in running water and shall be clean. He said, you know how you get clean? You get yourself some running water. Right Back in the day, people would like dip their hands in bowls of water and they wondered why everybody was getting sick. And then somebody started to say, no, we need the water to be running water because that's how people can get clean. You know what that tells me in a picture? That you keep yourself clean with the water of God's word. Amen? Ephesians 5.26, the Bible says, Jesus sanctifies and cleanses us with the washing of water by the word. The Bible is going to keep you clean or you're going to be dirty. D.L. Moody, great preacher, said it. You probably heard the saying, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. It's really hard to have read four or five chapters and then go do something stupid. But you close that Bible for a few days, you start thinking stupid, you start talking stupid, you start feeling stupid. You close it for a week, you'll be surprised how easily you'll fall over into things that you thought you had victory over. The Bible is that water, and it's, see verse 13? It's running water. That means it's alive. That means it's moving. That means it's not dead and stagnant. Right? You know, why the, you know why the churches are in such a mess? Because most of the Bibles they're using are dead water. Polluted, corrupted, stagnant. Nobody's doing anything with it. They're just sitting there like a bunch of museum pieces, letting people look at them. The Bible wants to move in your life. It wants to run through your life. It wants to see you take it and apply it. Running water is what you need, brethren. You need to take the water of that book and don't just sit and say, Oh, that was a lovely song. That was a nice sermon. No, God, what are you trying to say to me? And let that water run through you and clean you and do something with you. Apply it. Don't just leave it there dead and stagnant. Let it be living and running water in your life. Now, chapter 16, we go on. We're walking right through here. Wow, we're doing good. Chapter 16 is about the Day of Atonement, and it gets into these two scapegoats. And... uh, There's two kids of the goats brought up, right? Two scapegoats brought up, right? Two goats, I should say. One of them is killed, and one of them is made free. Hey, which one are you? Which one do you think you are? Jesus Christ died, and you were made free. Great picture right there of what Jesus Christ has done for you. He should have been the one that was made free. You were the one that deserved to die. Amen? Oh, I got a little weak right there. You get a little too pious on me. You're thinking a little too highly of yourself. Let me bring us all back down. You and I are the ones that deserve to die for our sins. What did we read earlier? He's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, but he became us and he died for us. Why? So that we could go free in this wilderness down here. Thank you, Jesus. Praise Jesus goes right there. Amen? What a Savior. Amen? Now go to chapter 17 to 20. Now, If you look on your outline, chapters 17 to 20 are all about the sins of other nations. Because man, Israel was surrounded by wicked countries. Nothing any of us could relate to today. But, you know, I mean, chapter 17, he talks about not eating blood. Chapter 18, he talks about things I wouldn't even get into in mixed company. 
uncovering nakedness with doesn't mean you pull your pants down, all right? It means something much worse and more filthy than that. It talks about the fire of Moloch, where they were offering children to, the, to these false gods. Chapter 19 talks about His holiness. Chapter 20 talks about witchcraft and all this sexual perversion, all this abomination that all the nations around Israel were practicing. I'm not going to get into them, but we're seeing it come alive today. All this wicked stuff that was in the past is coming back today. And animals are right around the corner, brethren. Right around the corner. It's right Because it was there. It was in the past, which means it's going to happen again. And they were surrounded by them. And you know what God said? He listed those things there in 17 to 20 for this singular purpose. Because He wanted to tell them, don't be like everybody else. I think if you look at chapter 20, actually, let's go to 20. Um... Hmm. Oh yeah, 20 verse 23. Let's go there. This is the end of that section. He says, And you shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. God says, I hated what they were doing. That's why I saved you and made you my nation. He says, don't be like them. What does 1 Peter 1 say? Be holy, for I am holy. And I don't care if that's an unpopular message. That's a, that's a God message. Amen. God is a holy God, and God doesn't want to fellowship with filth. God is, that's why He called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And our state is about choosing to separate ourselves from all the other nations and separating ourselves unto Christ. That's what sanctification is. Separation from something and separation to something. You're stepping away from the garbage so you could be with God. That's a choice that we get to make because we've been washed in the blood. Now look at chapter 21. Chapter 21 is about the qualifications of a priest. And a priest, see 21, 21? No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest, shall come nigh to offer the offering of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. The priest was to have no blemish. Isn't that amazing? You see the verse that happens in 2121? You know what 21 is? That's God's number. Seven is the perfect number. Seven, 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 seven. It's all seven, all multiples of seven. Because when God's thinking about his priest, he's thinking about somebody who is perfect. You know, your, your Savior had no blemish, right? They tried to accuse him of things. They said, oh, he's a friend of publicans and sinners. He's a wine-bibber. He has a devil. But Jesus Christ, Pilate said it right. right yes. I found no fault in this amen. man. Right? He is altogether lovely, the, the bride says. Right? He, amen? Can I get an amen there? He's altogether lovely. Right? I'm not defending Jesus, but sometimes I feel like he needs to be represented properly. He is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. I know people have another Jesus. They've made a Jesus in their own image. A Jesus that doesn't trust, a Jesus that has anger, a Jesus that is filthy, a Jesus that ran around with Mary Magdalene. The blasphemy, the blasphemy to think that Jesus had an affair with Mary Magdalene. That makes me want to scream. It should make you want to scream to see your Savior slandered. The Savior of, a, of, of the watchtower that isn't really God. He's just Michael, repackaged. I don't think so. 
The Bible says he was God manifest in the flesh. That wasn't a punk angel dying on the cross for your sins. That was God in the flesh dying for your sins. God's not a punk who sends his little errand boy to take the whipping that you deserve. No, God sent himself and climbed on that cross and said, they have made wide their furrows, right, on my back. The pl- they they uh, the, the, I forgot the verse, you know, you know the one, right? They, the whips, and with his stripes we are healed, right? We've got to present Jesus as he really is in the Bible, a holy God, right, who flipped the tables over and made a scourge of small cords and drove those hypocrites out because they were making his house a house of merchandise, right? That was sweet little Jesus with the sparrows flying around his head in the Sunday school flanographs, right? No, Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and he had no blemish. First Peter 1 says of Christ that he was a lamb without blemish and without spot. Spotless son of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a savior. We're getting all this, getting excited here out of the book of Leviticus. It's all right there in the book of Leviticus if we take a little time. And you know what God wants out of you, church? You know what his ultimate destination is for you, church? Ephesians 5.27, he wants to present to you to himself right? Uh, uh, Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's what God's ultimate destination is for you, to stand at that judgment seat of Christ and finally be totally conformed to Christ so He has no blemish and you you have no blemish. You know what God's trying to do with you right now? He's trying to iron out the wrinkles. He's trying to spot clean the blemishes and get out the marks so you start looking more and more, not like me or anybody else in here, but more like Him, to be conformed to Christ. And the priest was supposed to be perfect. And the Bible says, be perfect. God's trying to perfect you. Look at verse 22. You know what else the priest could do? 22. He shall eat the bread of his God. Woo! He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. You know what the priest could do? He could eat the bread of God. You say, what was the bread of God? Well, you walked into that holy place in the tabernacle. We're not going to get into all the tabernacle, but you walked out past that laver. Josh touched on it on Sunday. And you walked into that holy place, and you saw the candlestick and the table of showbread. And you know what you saw there? Six loaves and six loaves. Like your Bible's got 66 books. And he said, the priest could eat that bread. You know what, guys? you got 66 hot loaves right out of God's oven sitting in your lap. You can eat as much as you want. There's no, it's gluten-free, fat-free, everything free. It's only going to be good. The Bible says He strengthens your heart by bread. Isn't it weird how the world is like so poisoned against bread now? i got to skip the bread. You know, the bread's all messed up. I get it. I know they put all this stuff in there to make it do stuff. So now bread is like the bread is like the Antichrist meal or something like that. But you know what? God's bread is good stuff. You don't have to keto God's bread. You can have as much of God's bread as you want. You will. The world doesn't want to eat this bread. But you have access to this bread. Amen. Now go to verse chapter 22. Chapter 22 is now getting into some of the spiritual things about the priest. The personal holiness the priest was going to have. Look at 22.4. Here's another great picture. Are you, are you seeing any of this? Isn't this a blessing to see some of this? Such practical stuff, man. Practical stuff. In the, book of a, in the middle of a book that we sent, tend to think is so like esoteric and hard to understand. Like that word I just used. 22.4. I got to turn my English teacher off. What man soever of the seed of Aaron is a leper? 
Hmm, that's a priest that got dirty. Or hath a running issue. He shall not eat of the holy things until he be clean. And whoso toucheth anything that is unclean by the dead, or a man whose seed goeth from him, and he gives the instructions on how to get clean. You know what he's saying right there? That the priest was expected to stay in fellowship with God. He was expected to keep himself cleaned so he could serve and minister in the tabernacle. You know, guys, if you're a believer priest by faith in Jesus Christ, you know the Lord expects you to keep yourself clean. He expects you to live a holy life. He expects you to deal with sin. He expects you to try to put it off and get it out of your life. That's not a far thing for God to do. That's like pretty ground zero in terms of being a Christian. Not today, but that's what the Bible says. If you look at today's measure of Christianity, it's come as you are, be what you want, go as you were. Right? That's no, God says, come as you are, leave as I am. Right? I want to change you and make you a little bit more like me. And he says, here's what you've got to watch out for. You see verse 4? Watch out for the running issues in your life, priests. You know what the running issues are? Those are, that's your flesh. Those are the sins from within. Right? Those things that pop up in your flesh. Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. We all got issues. Some of you got more than others. But this is a running issue. This is something that's running through your flesh. A desire, a lust, a sin that you've got to deal with. Because if it gets to be a prolonged uncleanness, it's going to turn into leprosy and leave a mark on you that may never go away. You know what he says also there you've got to watch out for? Don't touch the dead. You know what that's about? Your fellowship with the lost world. They're dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead, but go ye and serve God. Right? Preach the kingdom of God. You're going to get defiled as a priest from those two areas. Your sins from within, things in your flesh that are running through your flesh and become issues you got to deal with, and touching the dead. Those sins from without, that fellowship with the wrong people that's going to work on you and defile you. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Be not deceived. My son, walk not thou with them. Can, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Proverbs 1. You say, where's that coming from? Leviticus. It's all right there. Look at chapter 23. Chapter 23. Chapter 23 is just going to be like a mind-blow moment. That's all this is for. All right. This is just going to be a mind-blow moment. And you know what, folks? I mean, I am... All of us, those of us that study the Bible and have decided to really learn God's Word, we all stand on the backs of great men. Right? It's not like this stuff is all original with me. I'm indebted to men like Mike Veach. I'm indebted to men like Pat Dean. I'm indebted to men like Peter Ruckman. I'm indebted to men like Bob Alexander. These are the men that have taught me the Bible. And I'm just trying to give you what they gave me. And then one day you'll try to give it to somebody else. That's how this thing continues. But this is just a mind-blow moment. Because in Leviticus 23, we get the feasts. Now, in the first half of Leviticus, chapters 1 to 11, you get the sacrifices. The sacrifices is how you got right with God. In the second half of the book, you get the feasts. The feasts are how you stay right with God, how you worship God. Let's do it real quick here. I'm going to do it. I don't know how to do this well. Uh, let's do it like this. I guess like this. All right? Yeah, I'll do it like this. So first month of their Jewish calendar, they had the Passover, followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 
followed by uh, first fruits. Those all happened in the first month. In the second month, there was a break. There were no feasts in the second month. Then you would get to the third month, and in the third month, you had the Feast of Weeks, what we commonly call Pentecost, right? And then, four to six months, nothing. And then when you got to the seventh month, you had uh, trumpets, uh, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. That's my really bad abbreviation. Now, that lines up, that's, that is your 7,000 years of God dealing with man right there in the feast. You want to see it? It's, 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 right, it's, it's hiding in plain sight. Here's your Old Testament. Right? You know what you got after your Old Testament? You got a break. 400 silent years. Like there was a break in the second month. You know what you got then? You got the first coming of Christ. When he was going to make Jew and Gentile one. Like the Feast of Weeks. Right? That would happen there. And then you got another break. Your church age. And then what you got next? The second coming of Christ. It's all right out there in the feasts. Old Testament, right? Break. First coming, break. Second coming. All these feasts, trumpets, atonement, tabernacle, all second coming. You got the whole whole 7,000 years of God dealing with man laid out in those feasts. If you're paying attention, you see it right there. Now go to chapter 24, moving right along. That was, like I said, that's just a, to me, that's just a mind blow moment. That was just like a moment, right? Look at chapter 24. We just got a few stops left and then we'll be done. All right, Leviticus 24. 24, if you're looking at your outline, is about oil for the lamps. See 24.1? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually without the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron order it from the evening unto the morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. He shall order the lamps upon the pure candlestick before the Lord continually. So when you walked into that tabernacle proper, you had the table of showbread, and the only thing that was the light in the whole tabernacle was the golden candlestick, and it burned on this oil. And the priest was supposed to not let that light go out. He was to keep the oil for the lambs to not let the light go out. You know what that tells me as a believer, priest, Christian? You need the Holy Spirit of God. You need to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, because if you don't have the Holy Spirit guiding you and leading you, the light is going to go out, and you're going to be in darkness when you should be walking in His marvelous light. Now go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Let me show you about some bad priests. I know one of them is named Eli. No relation to our Eli, right? All right. 1 Samuel 3. This is under Eli's, uh, Eli the priest, <laughs> Eli the priest's uh, uh, course of ministry here. And his, Eli's sons in the, in the Old Testament were horrible. They were laying with the women outside the temple. They were licentious pigs. They were abusing the office. They were abusing the ministry God had given them. And look what happened. When the priests were in sin, I want to show you what happened in the temple. Verse 3. And er, 1 Samuel 3.3. 3, you with me? And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Can I tell you, when those priests were in sin, Eli and his sons, they let the lamp go out. 
They didn't get the oil in there, and the lights went out in the temple of God right by the ark. That's a tragedy. You know what that's a picture of? The Laodicean church. Because the Laodicean church we got now, they're letting the lights go out. You know why? Because they got no oil. They got false versions. They got false doctrines. The Holy Spirit couldn't be within earshot of 99% of the things that go on in so-called churches around this country and this world. God isn't anywhere near them. See, they got nice programs. They got nice this. If they don't have the oil that God left us, there is no light there. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them, Isaiah chapter 8. I'm not saying people aren't getting saved. You don't need a King James Bible to get saved. But if you want to keep the lights on, you've got to stick with the stuff that God gave us. You've got to stay with the stuff that is true and pure and, and proven. And it's just the lights are going out everywhere, people. You got Christians going apostate. You got Christians going Calvinist. You got Christians that don't even know what they believe, why they believe it. They're as in dark almost as people that are lost. You say, why? They got no oil. There's no oil in the lamp. So the lights are going out. And people make the expression, well, the world is in the toilet and the church is on the seat. Can I amend that? The world is in the toilet because the church is on the seat. You're supposed to be a burning and a shining light. The Bible says we're supposed to shine as lights in the world, Philippians 2. And because we're not walking in the Spirit and filled in this book, the lights are going out and the world that we know is already lost and in darkness is just plunged further into darkness because we're not there to be those burning and shining lights. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? I'm preaching to me. I want to be a light. I had a girl in a Christian club yesterday. And it's like, it almost grieves me sometimes to be in Christian club in this public school. It's nice that there's a Christian club. But man, if there was ever the blind leading the blind and them all ending up in a ditch, it is. So I walk in there and the first question this girl asked me, sweet girl, really searching every week. Girl, her name is Justina. I pray for this girl. I think she's saved. Every week she comes to me with questions because she's like hungry to know the truth. She writes them on her phone and she, she'll hit me with all these questions. And the first question I walk in is just me and her. Nobody showed up yet. So I'm like, is there a club today? What's going on? She goes, what do you think of predestination? I was like, I think it's a lie. I think it's a misunderstood idea. It's really, oh, but there's all these verses. I said, no, there's not. There's twisted verses. There's manipulated verses. There's verses that have been poisoned by a false idea that people now think they actually prove something. And all I did was give her a little bit of light and I watched her eyes open up. Not because of me. It was the Spirit of God just went like this. And she went, oh, I get it now. And another teacher walked in. who's a friend of mine who's a Christian. I believe he's saved. But he goes to a very different kind of church that calls itself a free church And the irony is, when a church calls itself a free church, they think you have no free will, which is the ultimate irony, right? They usually believe that God is sovereign and, you know, you can't decide anything. But she looks at him, she goes, you confused me. I said, well, I don't want to get into it with him because we have very different ideas about predestination. But you know what? And I think this guy loves the Lord and he's a fine Christian. He's He's a kid that I actually know for a long time. I used to teach him in my class and now he's a teacher there. He's a fine Christian. But I don't know where he stands on that. But the lights are going out. 
we got to be like the Alamo, man, like holding forth the word of life. If we're the last one standing, holding on, and contending for the doctrines of this book, I don't care if I take one right between the eyes holding on to this. If someone's going to leave or get upset because we're going to stand and die by the doctrines of this book, then so be it. We're not going to dip the colors in that regard. We're supposed to keep the lights on, brethren. We're supposed to let the lower lights be burning so the ships don't crash into the shore, into the shoreline. And there's a lot of people crashing because the Christians have let the world take over. We've let the lights go out. Go to chapter 25. Let me hurry on. I could stay on that point till next year. All right, 25. Leviticus. Leviticus, thank you, Brian. Thank you. See, my case in point, Leviticus 25. We just, we're almost done with Leviticus. I'm going to hurry through here. But brethren, I challenge you, you need to know what that book, you need to know why you believe what you believe. Because people want to have an answer. They're asking you for an answer. You got little, you got, you got people in your life, and they're why do you believe this? Why do you do that? What's it all about? What Ah, uh, here's Pat's cell phone number. No, you got it. You're the one God put there to give an answer. You don't have to know everything, but you can give an answer. You at least should know how to get saved if you're saved. If you don't know how to get saved and you claim to be saved, we need to talk to you about whether you are saved, okay? Because you should at least know how to get saved if you are truly saved according to the Bible. Leviticus 25 is about the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee would happen in the 50th year. You see verse 8, 25, 8. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years, unto thee seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then, this is the fiftieth year, shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound. On the tenth day of the seventh month, in the day of atonement, shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land, and ye shall hallow the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall Return every man unto his family. You know what the year of Jubilee is a picture of? The day of the Lord. When God blows a trumpet and that thousand years of liberty finally comes to planet Earth. Liberty for you, glorious liberty of the children of God when you finally leave this flesh behind, liberty for his nation, liberty for the planet, people. Even the creation is groaning. The trees are going to clap their hands, the Bible says. The rocks are going to cry out. Why? Because the curse will be kind of relieved from nature itself. And there'll be liberty. Amen, amen. Look at chapter 26. Chapter 26 is about the blessings of God. Some of the blessings are conditional and some of the blessings are unconditional. Let's start with the unconditional ones right now. 26, verse 1. Ye shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear up a standing image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Can I tell you, folks? Israel was always going to be God's nation. Because God made an unconditional covenant with Abraham. God said the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And that promise that they would be my nation is never going to be overturned. That is His nation. That's an unconditional blessing. That's a picture of your unconditional standing as a son. Right? Look at verse 13. I am the Lord your God, which brought you, out of, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their bondmen, and I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. Notice God starts by saying, Israel, 
I'm your God. I'm your Lord. And I don't want you to be like everybody else. But you're my nation. That's the unconditional part. But look at verse 14. But, but, if ye will not hearken unto me, will not do all these commandments, if ye shall despise my statutes, if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning og that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And watch this. And I will set my face against you. Those are the conditional blessings. Israel was God's nation. Israel was God's people. But he says, if you want to be blessed, you've got to obey. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, but that you trust and obey. That's not about your standing. That's about your conditional state. If you're a son of God, say amen. 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 Hey, but you want to be blessed? You better obey the Bible. You better do what God says. God's not going to bless a disobedient child just like you're not going to reward your spoiled little brat who's going to be disobedient to you. God may say, I am the Lord your God. I am your Father, but I got me a spanking that I can give you if you're not going to hearken to my covenant. I saw my kids squirm. I could hearken to my covenants and my commandments. Isn't that so easy to understand that He's your God, but He's not to be trifled with. He's not to be ignored. He's not to be disobeyed. He's to be heeded and respected and revered. And then finally, 27, 28. I'll give you two, two or three quick, quick ideas. 27, 28 is about, on your outline, the things devoted to God. It was about people devoting things to God. I want to show you an interesting truth about things that were devoted or given to God. Now, in the year of Jubilee, everything that was like, uh, under bondage, like someone that had to sell themselves into servitude to like pay a debt, they would be released in the year of Jubilee. But here, something interesting, 27, 28. Notwithstanding, no devoted thing that a man shall devote unto the Lord of all that he hath, both of man and beast, and of the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy unto the Lord. That means if you gave something to God, if you promised something to God, or if you devoted something to God in the Jubilee, you didn't get it back. What you devoted to God was God's forever. And what you give to God is very precious to God. He's not giving it back. He's not giving it back. It's His. Whatever you devote to God belongs to God. Hey, are you devoting to anything to God? Amen. You give God any time, guess what? He's not going to lose it on you. You give God any resources, He's not going to waste it on you. You give God any affection, He's not going to forget it on you. Whatever is devoted to God is His forever. Didn't Paul say, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that that which I have committed unto Him, He is able to keep against that day. You give Him something, He's going to keep it. He's going to keep it. So go back to Leviticus 20. Let me give you just a couple of big ideas to end on tonight. Some big ideas from the book of Leviticus. The first one, I mean, not because anybody preached this lesson, but isn't the book of Leviticus amazing? Amen. 
I find it amazing. I find God taking a book that looks to the eyes so boring to be so full of truth and so practical and so unbelievable that God did that just to kind of go, <laughs> told you I wrote it. You know, just, I just, I feel it's like a, a bulb. We would think John would be like that. You know, Isaiah would be like that. Psalms would be like that. Some people get like, I can't wait to get to Psalms in my reading. Well, God says, don't skip Leviticus, man, because I got something for people that want to walk with me if they'd pay attention and study a little bit. What's the first big idea from Leviticus that we get? The importance of holiness for a redeemed people. One more time, are you redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Then God expects you to take holiness seriously. Leviticus 20, verse 7, see? Sanctify yourselves. Set yourselves apart. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy. For I am the Lord your God. Jump to verse number 26, same chapter. Look what the Lord says. And ye shall be holy unto me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. You know, when um, Danielle and I, I think, got engaged, she was a big Taekwondo star. You know, because I wanted to be around her, I started doing Taekwondo. I mean, I didn't particularly enjoy it in the beginning. I grew to love it. I grew to like it. I grew to become a black belt myself. She could still beat me up. But you know what? Because I wanted to have fellowship with someone, I gravitated toward the things that that someone was involved with. And if you want fellowship with God, if you want to walk with God, you've got to start to like holiness. You may not always like it in the beginning, the denying of yourself, but you know what? In time, you'll begin to love it, that purity, that freedom, that liberty, right? If you want to walk with God. You know the word holy appears 94 times in Leviticus? 94 times, more than any other book in the Bible. 94 times, why? Because God says, be holy because I'm holy. Now, both of our things here, if we flip this around, see how it's motorized? I click the button, and it spins around, right? All right? Um, That first part we talked about, that way to God, that fellowship that you have by getting saved, you know what the ground of that fellowship is? You know how you get that fellowship because He's a holy God? You had to get it by sacrifice. You know what other word appears a lot in, in the book of Leviticus? Atonement. It appears 49 times. Atonement. You know why? Because God is holy, if you're going to get near Him, you better come by a sacrifice. Because He's a holy God. You're not just going to walk in there and just be like, here I am, God. No, you better come in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you're not saved, you better get saved. But you're not getting near Him without a sacrifice. That's the ground of your fellowship. That's what gives you an entrance into the holiest of all. Isn't that interesting? Where God would choose to reside in the tabernacle is called the holiest of all. Why? Because He's a holy God. And you better have a sacrifice if you're going to approach unto Him. That's the ground of your fellowship. That's the way to God. But what's the second half of Leviticus? The second half is about a walk. And the walk of fellowship is with a holy God as well. It's sanctification. It's separation. Go to 1 John 1. Two very quick stops. 1 John 1. 1 John 1. Hey, if I go a little long, I'm doing a whole book a week, so you got to help me out, right? <laughs> Have a little patience, right? Be patient, for I am patient, all right? 1 John 1, look at this. You want fellowship with God? You're going to have to separate yourself from some things. 
You have to sanctify yourself. And that's why the church isn't crowded. Because people don't want God that bad. They want God when the doctor's report is bad. They want God when the bottom falls out. They want God when the job is unsure. But they don't want God the way God wants them. And that's the difference. That's how God separates the men from the boys, the sheep from the goats, the pretenders from the real people that are sincere. And in 1 John 1, 6, the Bible says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. He's saying, hey, you want to walk with God? You want to be with God? Guess what? You're going to have to separate from some things. And finally, go to 2 Timothy 4. Second big idea. First big idea, the importance of holiness. You know what's sad? I bet if we took a lost person from the 1600s and put them next to some of the most dedicated Christians today, I think the lost people, the lights went out because nobody walked over there. Don't get nervous. <laughs> if we were, <laughs> the darkness and the light. <laughs> right? I planned it that way. I hit the clicker. Right? But anyway, um, saving money to buy pizza here in the school, right? I bet if we took a lost person from 500 years ago, some of them live more holy lives than some of the saved professing people today. And that's a shame. These things ought not to be. Right? We should be a holy people. Now, second thing is, if you're saved by the blood of the Lamb, you know what you are? You're a believer priest. You're a priest today. You don't have to turn your collar around, but you're a priest right now, right here. You know what a priest was? A priest was a unique person that could go to God from man and go to man on behalf of God. A priest was a person that could mediate and stand between God and men. Guess what? You are those people down here that stand between God and men. Jesus Christ is our high priest, and we got a whole bunch of believer priests that are supposed to be following Him. How seriously do you take your calling, brethren? There's people at your jobs, there's people at the family dinner tables, there's people in your blocks and in your neighborhoods, and they're going to hell, and you're the one that stands in the gap. You're the mediator. And don't you know that in eternity, when God wants some people to be His mediators, I bet you they're going to be the ones that took it seriously now. And I'm not going to get into his big plan when he goes out there and he puts a lot of little Christs all over the universe to mediate on behalf of himself when he goes, no, I'm not going to go in there. But you know what? Just take this lesson. The people that take their ministry seriously now are going to be rewarded then. And it doesn't mean everybody's got to preach on the street. It doesn't mean everybody's got to hand out tracts. It just means you realize that you are standing in the gap between God and the people around you and you need to take it seriously. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul uses an interesting word. He says, 2 Timothy 4, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have, right, let me get there with you. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. You know, the priests in the Old Testament were put into a course. David arranged them in courses. They would, they would serve at different times. Hey, don't you want to get to the end of your life and say, I finished my course. I tried to be that person who could stand in the gap and be that representation of God to somebody else and let them know what God is like and what God thinks and what God loves. 
And finally, I'm not even going to turn to anything. I'm closing my Bible. If you've been redeemed from ruin, right? If you've been redeemed from ruin, you have got to get standing in state. You've got to understand that you have a standing in Christ that He purchased for you for you with His sacrifice. And you have a state every day where you can choose to walk with Him and separate yourself from the things of this world and separate yourself unto God. The whole book of Leviticus, which is about your access to God and your walk to God and your service of God, the whole book is about, it's broken down by standing in state. Which means you and I have to grasp this concept of standing in state if we're really going to walk with God like we should. Amen? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you today. We thank you today, Father. We just praise you for a book. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that gave it to us and kept it. And Lord, just thank you, Lord, for just allowing us to understand a little bit of it. And I pray you get some glory out of this, Father, right now and in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.